0: Come on, are you excited to be at church today? Anybody? You look good. Come on, go ahead and look at your neighbor, look at the person next to you, say, you look good today. I'm so glad I get to sit next to you at church today. If that was your spouse, that was just great points for you. If that was somebody else, that could have been awkward. Um, Who knows? (laughs) We're glad you're here. I want to remind you, this week we are kicking off Grow Groups for our summer semester. This is our eight-week semester. It's a shorter semester we do in the summer for the months of June and July, and so you can go on the Church Center app, you can go on our website, and you can get signed up for the group that you want to be a part of for the summer. We've said it uh, for the last few weeks, we know you're going to be gone, and we hope you enjoy your vacation time and and, uh, time away, but when you're here, be in a group. Um, This is where relationship happens, and we don't want to take a break off from growing in our faith and and, uh, growing in the Word throughout the summer, so be a part of a group and check those out, um, different nights of the week, different topics, books of the Bible, things like that, that you can be a part of, and we'd love for you to do that. And then the last thing is today, uh, after the services, I believe it's from 1 to 4, if I have my timing right, um, our two ministries, uh, elementary age or kindergarten through fourth grade, uh, are going to be at the home of Margie Ware, and they're having a pool party there. This is something we do uh, to kind of kick off the summer for our kids, just a fun thing. And then our iClub ministry, which is fifth through eighth grade, is going to be out at the McIntyre's. Uh, for a pool party there as well. So we got a couple of little summer kickoff parties as we uh, invite these kids into their next class, those that are moving up, and just a great way to kick off the summer and have some fun together. So keep that in mind. If you need more details, just hit us up after the service, and we can let you know about that and get you to the right place. So we're glad you're here. We've been in a series, uh, today is week three of a series that we're doing for the entire summer that we're calling Red Letters. And we're looking at the teachings of Jesus and how we can apply that to our lives because many times we have read the red in our Bibles, but we have never really taken it to heart or studied it out or really understood what it is that Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples and to us. And so we're looking through all of the, the passages and all of the teachings where Jesus was teaching when he was on the earth and. And uh, we're going through those throughout the summer. And today's week three. We've looked at, uh, in week one, we looked at how to handle someone, you know, who sins against you or causes an offense in the way that Jesus describes. Last weekend, we talked about your favorite verse. If you were here, don't judge or you will not be judged. And uh, we kind of broke that down, and we talked about the importance of looking inward before looking around to judge other people, and how we can differentiate uh, where the Bible talks about that we are called to judge those that are inside. But what did Jesus mean when he was saying, do not judge, and you will not be judged, and how he talked about the measure that you judge with and that you you know dish out as the measure that's going to be measured back to you. And so if you've missed either one of those, you can go on the app and watch them or get the podcast and just listen to the audio. But today, uh, we're going to be in one of Jesus' teachings It's probably one of the most heard. And you've probably heard a message on this. You've probably read this several times. You've probably heard different angles on this. Uh, But today, we're going to begin in Matthew 13. We're going to read a couple of different places there. And then we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture today and have a lot to get to. But I think that God's Word is going to help us today. So look at Matthew 13. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible. uh, Starting in verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Some other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And then if we skip down a few verses, we're going to go to verse 18. This is where Jesus explains the parable. So he's just talked uh, to this crowd and he's teaching them this and then uh, he's explaining to his disciples what he meant by this. He says, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. And now look over at Luke chapter 8. This is another place where Jesus is explaining the same parable. And I like the way that that Luke words it uh, in this translation. This is the, the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word. ...from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they who when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones... Who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. Um, If you're taking notes, I have titled the message today, I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes, on things that matter. Things that matter. As I was reading these parables, and I believe you can find this parable in three of the four Gospels. um, As I was reading over this, there were some things that were sticking out to me that Jesus taught that I think are things that really matter in our lives. And so I want to come at this from a little bit different angle today, but we're going somewhere. And to do that, I want to pull out a lot of Scripture, and I want to pull out three specific things, three specific things that matter as we talk about this parable. And here's the first one. Fruit matters. This may be the most basic one that we're going to talk about this morning, because at the end of the parable, when Jesus is explaining the parable he lets us know at the end that ultimately the desire was for fruit to be produced. That the word of God would be planted in your heart and that fruit would come out of that. And so he goes through all of these different types of soil and the word being planted. And then in verse 23, at the very end in Matthew 13, he says, But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown, and then Luke eight fifteen. But the seed in the good ground; these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring they produce fruit. Jesus is letting us know the the goal in the word being planted is that it would produce fruit. But there are some things that factor into whether or not that happens. And we're going to talk about some of those things as we go through the message. But ultimately, we have to understand that fruit matters. And so to help us wrap our minds around what, what fruit mattering actually means, I've got a few, um, a few one-liners and some scripture that I want to go through underneath point one. Because when we think about fruit a lot of times, we think about the things that we do. Right, And that is part of it, but I think there is more to it that Jesus is getting at when he's talking about seeing fruit produced in our lives. So here's the first one as we go through these. Fruit is the test of true salvation. Fruit is the test of true salvation. Uh, Matthew 7, 16-20, we looked at this last week, but I want to read it again because it's worth reading again. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Look at John 15 and verse 8. Jesus is talking about the vine as he's walking with his disciples. And he's saying, if you stay connected to me, I can do amazing things through your life. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Even though you feel like you're doing something, it is not empowered by me in all the things that you're doing. And we've talked about that before. But as a part of that teaching, here's one thing that Jesus says in verse 8. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus desires for us to produce fruit. Like for this fruit to the Word of God and what He has planted in us and what He's doing in us to be coming out of our lives and that people will know us by our fruit, that God's going to receive glory because of our fruit, that these things produce in our lives. And so fruit is important and it's something that God desires and it's the test of true salvation. Jesus said you're going to know. He's talking about sheeps in wolves' clothing. You're going to know you're going to be able to tell by the fruit of their life what's really going on in their heart. Not necessarily by everything that they say, but the fruit that you see, the fruit will tell the real story. Here's the next one, that fruit includes sanctification and holiness. Sanctification and holiness. Romans 6.22 says, But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. Just a couple of definitions, because sanctification is this church word that we use a lot of times, and basically, you know, God saves us, and then we are being sanctified, right? We are being made into the image, being transformed into the image of Christ as we live our lives. And so sanctification can be defined as this, it's the action of making or declaring something holy, and the definition of holy is something dedicated or consecrated to God or sacred. In other words, what God's desire for your life is, is that you would be made or declared into something or someone that is dedicated or consecrated or set apart or sacred, dedicated to God. That as you live your life, you would become more dedicated to God and more like Jesus and more like Jesus and more like Jesus. And this is what fruit being produced in your life looks like. It's about this sanctification process and and you becoming more like the Son of God. Fruit in our lives is an indicator that we are allowing God to make us into something or someone who is fully dedicated to Him. And if we could tie this into our word for the entire year which is transformed, this is us allowing God to actually transform us from the inside out. That part of the fruit that God desires to, be, to be your life to be bearing is that you're allowing Him to transform you from the inside out. That you're being changed. That it's no longer about you. It's no longer about your desires. It's no longer about your flesh. It's about what, it, what God wants to do in your life. It's about what He desires for your life. You're allowing Him to transform you. Here's the next one. Fruit includes character. It's our character. We all know these verses. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 24 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, look at this phrasing, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, before this he's talking about the, the sinful nature and what the sinful nature produces or what the works of the flesh produce. And then he talks about being led by the Spirit and here's the fruit that the Spirit produces in your life. And then at the very end he says, and here's, and here's how you can be led by the Spirit and not by your flesh. It's that when you signed up to follow Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Him, you crucified your flesh. You crucified those things in your life. Like You have been crucified with Christ, those passions, desires of the flesh, and the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. It's these character traits that we take on when we crucify our old self. When the old is gone and when we have become new, a new creation in Christ, the Holy Spirit is producing this fruit in our lives, and so it's about character. So not only is it about sanctification and about holiness and about you know proving you know like true salvation, the evidence of true salvation, it's also about our character. Here's the next one that we're all familiar with because we talk about it a lot: fruit includes good works. It includes good works. We're not saved by our good works, but the fruit of your life should produce good works. There should be some things that you're doing, and I want to prove it to you. Once again, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we have not stopped praying for you. And, here, and then he tells us what he's praying. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and, and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. It says, here's what we're praying for you. That there be fruit. That, that your good works would be going out. The things that God has prepared for you to do. As Ephesians 2.10, look at it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Look at Matthew chapter 5. We all know these verses as well. 14 through 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's what you have to understand about good works. God desires for good works to be produced out of your life. But ultimately, your good works are to bring glory to him. So it's not about everything that I can do. It's not about all my talent. It's not about how good I am at this. It's, no, that these are the things that God prepared in advance for me to do. And when I stepped into salvation, I stepped into his purpose for my life. And now I'm walking out the good things so that God can get the glory god desires to get the glory out of your life and one of the ways is by the fruit that is being produced out of your life and part of that is the good works and the things that you do and then here's the last one i want to make mention of this is that fruit includes praising god i i think that there should be this desire inside of us to praise our heavenly father to worship to honor him to bring glory to him that that should be a fruit that whenever you, whenever you are a believer, you're following Jesus. That there should be this desire in you to praise Him. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, through Him, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess His name. It's the fruit of lips that confess His name, a sacrifice of praise. Anybody ever offer God a sacrifice of praise? We like to say, we, we offer God praise. Anybody ever not felt like praising God, but you did it anyway? And it was a sacrifice. Anybody ever been going through something difficult in your life, and you were just praising God anyway? and a—I mean, it was a sacrifice of praise. Anybody ever surrender your life to Jesus? Nobody around you understood anything you were doing. People left your life, and you were still willing to praise God and offer a sacrifice of praise. And he says, this is the fruit that is produced in people's lives that are following Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate goal. He says, "When my word is planted in your heart, I want it to produce fruit. I want it to produce fruit. I want it to be the evidence of your salvation. I want it to to be about you being sanctified and being made holy. I want it to be about the good things that you are doing, the good works that I prepared for you to do in advance, so that you can bring glory to me, and so that people will see me because of the things that you're doing because you're following after me." And so the first thing that we Understand from this teaching of Jesus is that the fruit in our lives matters. Here's the second point. Second thing that matters, heart condition matters. Heart condition matters. Uh, The four different types of soil that Jesus mentions represent four different conditions of our heart. So he's going through this parable and he's talking about four different conditions of your heart. The word doesn't change, but our heart condition can change. The seed didn't change, but he was talking about different conditions of people's heart when the seed was planted, when the seed was scattered, when the seed was sown. He talks about the shallow soil on the path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and then there's the good soil. Now, we all know this, but for a plant to produce fruit, it has to be rooted in good soil. For anything to grow and produce fruit, it has to be rooted in good soil. But not only is it required to be in good soil, but it also needs sunshine. So for anything to grow, it needs to be rooted in good soil, but it also needs sunshine. And here's what's interesting to me about this parable that Jesus that Jesus is sharing with these people, this crowd, and then explaining to his disciples is that he makes a couple of uh, of, of comparisons that I want to point out. And this is what he, he compares soil to the heart and he actually compares sunshine to distress and persecution. So he, he compares the soil to your heart and he compares the sunshine to distress and persecution. And I want to read it again. This is verse six. He says, but when the sun came up, Seed has been planted. These people accepted it with with joy. It's the rocky ground. But when the sun came up, when the thing came up that was intended to grow it, it scorched it. And since it had no root, it withered away. The very thing that was intended to grow the seed, the very thing that was intended to bring life, to the seed, is the thing that scorched the plant and caused it to wither away because there was no root system. And here's what I believe Jesus is telling us. Our heart condition matters, and our response to distress and persecution will be a direct reflection of our heart condition. How we respond when the sun comes up will be a direct reflection of what's in our heart. And the thing, Jesus says, the thing that was actually the plant actually needs was the thing that because there was no roots, no root system, no depth, it was the thing that scorched it and caused it to wither away. And distress and persecution will either help us grow or it will cause us to fall away. I was thinking of a, a personal example. We're talking about seed and plants. And we have um, at our house in the front, uh, right in front of the front porch, there's this strip basically where we plant flowers. And, uh, and we'll water them. Come on, anybody ever planted something and you watered it faithfully and you put it in the right spot, you, like you thought it was in the right spot? Come on, you laid hands on it and you prayed for it. It's like, in the name of Jesus, this is going to grow, right? Right? There's going to be some pretty yellow flowers in Jesus' name right out here in front of my house. And then you go out there and you notice that some of them seem to be thriving and some of them don't seem to be thriving. And, and I wonder, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with my wife. I was like, I wonder if the dirt is bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if where we're trying to plant this, they can't thrive because it's not the right kind of dirt. Because it can't be anything we're doing, right? Come on, is anybody with me? We got the water hose. We got the sunshine. We got the mulch. Come on, somebody. And I wonder if the dirt is bad. And that maybe some thrive because they're in the right soil. But some are dying in in the same sunlight and with the same water. Because they're not in the right soil. And the roots can't get down deep enough. To actually grow and bear fruit. The same sunshine that, that helps cause the plant to grow. When there are no roots, it will kill the plant. But if there are roots, it can thrive. Let me show you this in, in Scripture in a few different places. Here's how Jesus referred to persecution in this parable that we're talking about today. Look at verses Matthew 13, verses 20 and 21 again says, and the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, a couple of things that stand out to me in these verses. Jesus says, when, not if. When distress and persecution come, it reminds me of the firm foundation where he's saying, when the winds come, when the rain comes. When this happens, this is how you'll know what you've built your life on. He says, "When distress and persecution comes because of the word, did you notice that it's because of it's because of the seed, it's because of the word, it's because." Come on, you you make the decision to follow Jesus, and then it felt like. That person left your life and nobody at work cared about what the change that was going on in you. And it was like everything seemed to be, it was like, I I don't know what happened. Like I thought my life was going to get way better whenever I started following Jesus. Well, here's the reality. Your life did get way better. But you may not see a whole lot on the outside. Because Jesus also said, obviously, in this life you'll have trouble, but take heart because I've already overcome the world. So we're going to endure some things in life. But we have to keep following Jesus, and our roots have to be deep enough that when distress and persecution comes, when the sun comes up, that it doesn't cause us to wither away, but it actually causes us to grow. And in this situation, Jesus is referring to He says that persecution is what caused this person to fall away because he didn't have any roots. And the Greek word for persecution here in Matthew 13, 21 is the same Greek word that is translated as afflictions in Romans 5, 3. But I want you to see the difference. Look at this, Romans 5, 3, and 4. And not only that, but we also boast in our, here it is, the same word, afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And if you do a word study on the Greek word that's used here that we translate as persecution and we translate as affliction, it looks like two completely different things. Jesus is saying, when this happens, this person falls away and this plant withers up. And Paul says, hey, when this happens, we count it as joy and we boast about it because it's producing things in our lives and it's helping us grow. And when you study that word, that word can actually mean a, a, a pretty good definition. That would be pressure. So Jesus is saying, when pressure, these people have received the word, They've received what God wants to do in their life, but when pressure came up, when they were squeezed a little bit, they fell away because they didn't have any roots. It was just it was rocky ground. It was shallow Christianity. It was I I prayed a prayer, but I don't really know any more than that. It's because there was no root system that this pressure caused the plant to die. But Paul, using the same word, says, but we boast in this pressure because we know that this pressure is producing endurance. And this pressure is producing character, and this pressure is producing hope. This thing that is happening to me right now, it's actually something that God can use to grow me. But if I don't have a root system, if I haven't gone deep enough, if I haven't, if I haven't done the work behind the scenes in time with the Lord and things like that, then this very thing that could cause me to grow will be the thing that kills me because there wasn't any root system. There wasn't any depth. And so here's what we learn from Jesus and Paul. We can say it this way, the same pressure produces different results based on the condition of our heart and how deep our roots are. And so we have to allow God's word to be rooted in our hearts. I love Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Uh, This last week, I read a story about someone who was walking through something difficult. And I won't have this on the screen, but I want to read it to you because I felt like it was appropriate today. And maybe you'll find yourself here. Maybe this will speak to you. Um, But this person was going through something difficult, but they allowed it to draw them closer to the Lord instead of push them away. And isn't that the tension? Isn't that the the decision that we have to make whenever we walk through something difficult? Is this going to grow me or is it going to kill me? Is this going to grow me in my relationship with the Lord or is this going to be something that causes me to fall away? And Jesus said, blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me. They don't fall away because they're offended by me and the way that I decided to do something or the thing that that I did in a certain way. And so I want to read this story to you. It says... This is coming from a pastor's perspective and he wrote this. He says, years ago, I preached a sermon from the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I called it three plus fire equals four. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, threw these three Hebrew men into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to his image. But the men were not burned alive. When King Nebuchadnezzar peeked into the flame-filled room, he was shocked to find a fourth man who looked like the Son of God walking around with them. My point Sometimes the only way to get to Jesus, that fourth man, is to go through the fire. I did not know it at the time, but a certain man and his wife were sitting in church that morning. Some months before, the man had been in a terrible fire and had suffered third-degree burns over half of his body. Multiple surgeries and skin grafts followed. That particular Sunday, the man looked at his wife and said, We've got to go to church. This was a surprise to his wife since they hadn't been to church in a long time. She looked at him dumbfounded and asked where he wanted to go. And as the Lord would have it, he named the church where I was speaking that morning. After listening to my message about walking through the fire to get to Jesus, this man rededicated his life to the Lord. His salvation and that of his family came in a strangely wrapped package. When I talked with, his man, with this man after church that day, he showed me his arms. The fresh bandages carefully covered severe burns and scars. With tears in his eyes and gratitude in his heart at experiencing God's amazing grace, he told me he found the gift of Jesus through these strange wrappings and wounds from the fire. Wow. We may not understand some of the things that happen to us in this life, but God promises that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. Nothing has happened to you that God cannot work out if you put it into his hands. Here's the story of somebody who walked through a trial, walked through a difficult situation. And we have a a tendency, don't we, whenever we walk through something difficult, we ask why. We want to know why. We don't understand it. We don't get it. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with asking why. I also don't think that a lot of times God reveals to us why, sometimes because we can't handle the answer. We wouldn't completely get it, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, or in His plan. But our heart condition determines the result of persecution and difficulty in our lives. Because Jesus said, when it comes. Paul said, when it happens, we boast. Jesus said, if you don't have roots when it happens, you fall away. You wither away. And so the condition of our heart really does matter. The word of God doesn't change. The seed doesn't change. But the condition of our heart can change. And so we have to have our heart conditioned to be able to receive what God wants to do. And here's my final point today. Final thing that, that I think we can learn from this that matters. Understanding opposition matters. I said it. It's been a long time ago in a message, but... Just making the point that if we understood that opposition is inevitable, we wouldn't be surprised when it comes. There is a real enemy who really hates you. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that this enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy so, if we know that there is an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, that is seeking someone to devour, as Peter would tell us, be watchful. Because your enemy's prowling around like a lion, like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. I think that we have to learn to expect opposition. Jesus said, The world hates me, and they're going to hate you because you're my followers, that there are, going to be, there are going to be things that happen that you don't understand, there are going to be things that happen that you don't get, but one thing I want to point out um, about opposition from this parable, I think that not only does Jesus tell us what the condition of our heart looks like in these situations, but he also tells us, he gives us some insight into what it is that took it away, what it is that caused the word to not produce fruit, what it is to cause the thing that God is wanting to plant in your heart and in your life to not produce fruit. And so not only is this parable a great lesson in the fact that fruit matters, as we've talked about, and that our heart condition matters, but it's also a great lesson that understanding our opposition matters. And so I think in this parable there are, uh, there are three things or three people, um, people and things, that oppose the gospel message that we are warned of as Jesus is teaching this, three things that are trying to keep you, trying to keep me from producing fruit, that are trying to keep some people from even receiving the message of Jesus Christ in their life. And so we have to be aware of what our opposition is. And so here's the first thing I think we need to understand, that one of, our, one of, one of the keys in opposition is the devil. It's not made up, people. He really is out to get you. And does not want you to produce the fruit in your life that would cause glory to be brought to God and other people around you to be able to see Him. And so one thing that I notice, if you look back at Luke chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, the seed along the path are those who Have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The devil loves to try to snatch things up before it has time to grow. You ever, maybe you experienced this, but you may have seen this in other people's lives as well. Like you shared the gospel with somebody, and they, it was like they seemed receptive. And as soon as they seemed receptive, like they woke up the next day and it was like, I don't even know if that was real. I don't even know if that was a real experience. Like maybe I just got caught up in the moment. There were a lot of people there, and somebody was praying for me, and and I felt, you know, emotional in the moment. And so, like, I don't even I don't even know if it's real. The enemy likes to snatch this away before it ever has time to take root. Have you ever tried to dig up a tree that's been planted for a minute? So we had. When we lived in town, we had right on the side of our house, there was this tree, and it wasn't like a huge tree, but it was probably, you know, it was a decent size, a little bit taller than me probably, and we wanted to get rid of this tree because it was really close to the house. So I get the shovel out, right, you know, and I'm digging this thing up. Have you ever tried to dig up a tree that's been there for a while? And I'm getting pretty far away. I mean, I'm like... If, if this is the tree, I'm back here, you know, and I'm digging up around because I'm like, I'm going to get all of this, this tree out. And I get dug up around and I go to try to pull this out. And then you see like this, this long root that, you know, starts coming out of the ground and it goes way over here. And so you get the shovel and you go over there and you chop that root off and you're like, all right. And you go to pull it up and, you know, the same thing happens on this side. Because it's been rooted, it's been planted there for a little while. And so it's harder to, it's harder to dig that thing up. But it's really easy. When you go buy a tree from the store, and you dig a hole in the ground, and you plant it, and the next day you walk out there and jerk it back out of the ground. Because it doesn't have any root system yet. So wouldn't it be smart of the enemy to try to snatch up whatever it is that God's trying to do in your life before it ever takes root in your life? And Jesus says, this is like, this is like the, the people that the seed was sown, and before it could even do anything, the enemy was like got it. And I think one of the primary ways that the enemy does that is he causes doubt. There are some of us that have been told about Jesus, but we have not entered into a relationship with him because we doubt. We doubt if it's real. We, we doubt if he really loves us. We doubt if he really exists. We doubt why bad things are happening in the world if, if God is real. And so because of our doubt, we don't enter into a relationship with him because the enemy has brought doubt. And things like, you know, we'll we'll think things like, well, is this really true? Did God really say? Come on, that's what the enemy used in the Garden of Eden. Are you really saved? Does God really love you? You don't want that. Christians can't have any fun anyway. They're all hypocrites anyway. You don't want to be a part of that. I heard a, a pastor one time, he said, he was talking to somebody and he was inviting them to church, to be a part of the, the church, and they said, no. We don't go to church. He said, why do you not go to church? He said, there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. He said, we got room for one more. (laughs) Do we not all struggle with that to some degree? (laughs) Like what the enemy wants to do is give us every reason as to why that can't be real and that's not really what you want and that's not really what you desire. And if you do that, then it's not going to turn out the way that you thought and that's going to be harder than what you thought. And ah, they're just all a bunch of hypocrites anyway. He wants to cause doubt in your mind. Come on, maybe even God planted a dream in your heart and he told you this is your purpose, this is what I've called you to do, this is what I want you to do. And you thought in that moment, maybe you were reading your Bible, maybe you were praying, maybe you were you know, in a moment in the presence of God and you just felt this impression like, man, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, this is the direction I'm supposed to go. And you're like, all right, that's what we're going to do, that's what we're going to do. And you woke up the next day and you're like, I don't know. And you started having thoughts like, you don't even have any money. You don't even have any people. Does God really speak to you like that? Was that really God that you heard? And He'll start causing doubt in your mind because if He can snatch it up before it takes root, it's easier to get rid of. It's easier to keep you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish if He gets it before it takes root. So we have to be aware of the devil's attempts to take away what was planted in our hearts. Or what we've tried to plant in someone else's heart. Here's the second opposition I think we need to understand. And that's the flesh. The flesh. The flesh is what starves the plant so it can't grow. And if you look back, verses 20 and 21, we read them. But this is where, you know, he says, it's sown on the rocky ground. This is one he who hears the word immediately, receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress and persecution comes, because of the word, immediately he falls away. What is it inside of us that does not want persecution that does not want things to be hard that does not want things that are difficult that's our flesh if it's difficult then i don't really want it if it's hard then it must not be from god and so our flesh begins to take over and it and it starves the plant so that it cannot grow galatians five seventeen. I love this verse. Paul tells us about the flesh and the spirit. He says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't know what you want, so that you don't do what you want. It's our fleshly desires that want us to believe that the sunshine is too hot to keep on going that if this is what being a believer and a follower of Jesus is going to be like, then I don't want that. It's our flesh, and this is why this is why so many times in scripture we're told that we have to crucify our flesh. This is why we fast for 21 days at the beginning of the year. This is why. Because we have to kill our flesh. And do you notice what happens if you've ever participated in a 21-day fast? You notice what happens by the end of it? We are l- way less concerned about ourselves and way more in tune with what God's trying to say to us. I know I am. I come out of the 21-day fast and like I feel closer to God than I've ever felt before. It's because I got rid of some of the stuff that my flesh desired so that I could hear God. And we have to be careful that our flesh doesn't get in the way and, and cause the... You know, the, the smothering and the squashing of the plant. And then here's the last thing as the worship team comes back. Last opposition I think we need to understand from this parable is the world. That the world smothers the fruit so that it becomes unfruitful. And some some of us have produced fruit in our lives, and then we got distracted. We were producing fruit in our lives, and then we got distracted by other things around us. And it caused us to begin to become unfruitful. And what was once producing fruit out of our lives is now becoming unfruitful. Look back at Luke 8, verse 14. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. And produce no mature fruit. And when we become more focused on everything there is to be worried about. And how we can get more money or more things. And just simply doing what feels best to us instead of honoring God. We're in danger of the things of the world squashing the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives. And I would venture to say I know I have. And many of us probably have. That we've faced this opposition. We've faced this opponent. And we saw somebody that had what we thought our 10-year goal was going to be. And we'd made the decision, well, if if I just get over here and do a little bit of this, then maybe I'll be successful. And when I get to this level... Then I'll, then I'll come back and I'll really start following God and I'll really start giving generously and I'll really start you know, you know, being a part of what God's doing in my life and I'll really start following Him. But I just need to get to this point. And here's what you know. Here's what I know. Every time there's a bar that we want to get to, when we get to that bar, we'll create another bar. And wouldn't it be just like the enemy to say, well, when you get, when you get this much, then you'll do it. Then you'll do it. And then when you get to there, you notice somebody else who has more. Well, if I just get to this much, yeah, yeah, if you just get to that much, then you'll do it. And God says, you're, you're letting the things and the desires and the worries and the cares of this life choke out the plant. And what was once producing fruit is now no longer producing fruit because we've become distracted. And we're no longer focused on God; we're focused on our career. And your career is not a bad thing, but it can't take the place of God. Now we're no longer as focused on God because we're trying to get somewhere in seven years. And if I can just get there, and say, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put all of my attention into that, and you're, and you're not accomplishing God's purpose for your life. And God may want you to get where you want to be in seven years. I'm not saying He doesn't. But wouldn't you much rather trust God along the way and follow His leading and and not get ahead of God and get there with God than end up seven years down the road completely distracted and far from God? And now you look at your life and you're like, how did I even get here? You got distracted. And Jesus says, worries and cares and the deceitfulness of riches, all of these things, they're things that choke They choke out what I want to do in your life. Will you stand to your feet today? I want to ask you. I want to ask you three questions, and then, um, and then we're gonna pray, and we're gonna sing this last song. But I just felt impressed to ask some questions because we all face opposition. And we have to understand our opposition. And we have to learn that, man, there is a real enemy and there are real, like, there are deceitful things out there. And how can we stay focused on what God's called us to do? How can we stay focused in our relationship with God? Here's question number one. Has the devil convinced you that you have a reason to doubt God? Has the devil convinced you that you have a reason to doubt God? Because he wants to. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat the fruit of any tree in the garden? Doubt. Well, God knows that you're not going to die. He's just holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like Him. The funny thing is, they were already like Him. They were made in His image. In a perfect environment. Yet the enemy brought doubt. Here's the second question. Has your flesh caused you to throw in the towel? Because following Jesus has caused persecution to come your way. Has your flesh caused you to either throw in the towel or you're thinking about it. Like this is this is, this is difficult. This is hard. And I think what Jesus would tell you today is just just keep following. Just keep following. Just take one more step. Come on, just, just keep following me. Maybe he's asking you the question today. I presented this at, at prayer night this last week. Where Jesus was teaching and people started leaving. This is hard. His teaching's hard. His way of life is hard. Like, I don't know if we want that. And he turns around and he looks at his disciples. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And maybe God's asking you the question today. Because you've seen people falling away and you've seen people getting distracted and you've seen people that are allowing things to choke God's purpose out of their life. And maybe the Holy Spirit today is, is, maybe He put you here in this place today so that you could be warned like, hey, let's refocus. Let's get back on what it is that God has for your life. And then here's the third question. Has, have worldly things taken your eyes off of what God desires for your life? Have worldly things taken your eyes off what God desires for your life? I think that that we're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to share Jesus. And I want to encourage you to pray in these areas that we've talked about today as you walk out sharing the gospel with people in your life. I want you to pray against schemes of the enemy to snatch the seed. You share Jesus with somebody, you call them tomorrow. How, how you doing today? Because you know, as soon as they went home, the enemy came in. Was that really real? They're just crazy. When you lead someone to Christ, be honest about trials and difficulty that may come. And walk alongside people to help each other, not allow distractions or worldly things to pull each other away. And this is another great opportunity that you have being in a group this summer, this fall, in the spring, every semester when we do groups, is that you're around people. You come back around that next week and you started to get distracted. You get back in that group of people and you're like, oh yeah, I don't need to get distracted. Oh yeah, this is what God has for my life. I need to stay focused. This is, this is what God's plan is for my life. I need, to, I need to keep pursuing that. I need to keep following Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And Over the last few weeks, we've been asking this question every single Sunday I love this question because it makes it personal to you but I just want you right there where you're standing before we sing this song to just ask the Holy Spirit to say Holy Spirit what are you speaking to me through this message what is it that you what is it that you desire for me what is it that you're trying to point out in my life what is it that you're trying to heal me of in my life what is it that you're trying to do in my heart this morning what aspect of this teaching do you is most important right now for me to apply to my life and my situation as our prayer team comes I just want to pray for you then we're going to sing this song Lord I just thank you for your word thank you for loving us enough to, to teach us and to show us the way and not only that but really to warn us of distractions and worldly things and fleshly things and how the enemy wants to come in and steal what's been planted in our hearts So Lord, I pray that today we would be people that would allow our root system to go deep into you. That we would do the work behind the scenes. That we would be in your word. That we would be in prayer. That we would communicate with you. That we would be in groups. That we would be in connection with other believers. That we would do what you've called us to do so that our roots can get deeper and deeper and wider and wider. And Lord, we thank you so much that you love us enough to preserve this teaching so that we can learn from it. And so as we sing this song, I pray that you would do what only you can do and that you would speak to us individually and reveal anything that needs to be revealed, that we would give you permission to do what you want to do. And if there's anybody here today who needs prayer for anything in their life, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw them for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.